Michigan. How you doing, Larry? Jim, I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Hope you're doing well. Well, we have lots to talk about. It's the end of August, and we have our three fish shows coming up at Dick's Sporty Arena in a soccer stadium outside of Denver. And unfortunately, though, um, we've had a bit of a setback where they've canceled all the camping because... Yeah, Jim, what's going on with that? That's a big thing for you guys every year. I know you and your boys go out there as I hear it, you drive in on Friday, you drive out Sunday night. Yeah, actually, we go in on Friday and, and leave Monday morning. So we're there for the whole Labor Day weekend. And, you know, Fish does such a great job. Um, they have free showers. Uh, they have these, like, semi-trailers that are set up as showers, one for the men and one for the women. Fish provides free pancakes on Sunday morning. So it's a great deal. <laughs> Lots of porta-potties for everyone to use and the trucks are just constantly going back and forth emptying the porta potties keeping them clean so it's a great fun time but the apparently and i don't know why it's an issue this year because it's been an issue forever in colorado that the fleas that the prairie dogs carry the fleas carry the bubonic plague so there's been a controversy for as long as i've lived in colorado which is goes back to 1982 that uh, whether or not to uh, exterminate the prairie dogs or relocate them or leave them alone. And very controversial, you know, because they are cute, but they do carry the plague, got the fleas on their back. So, again, this has been ongoing for decades here in Colorado, so I don't really understand why this year they made it an issue and enough of an issue to cancel the, uh, the camping part of this. And it does put a lot of people out of work. There's food vending. There's a general store. You know, the, like I said, the guys who clean the porta potties, the people who park your cars, the security in the campground, and for me personally, I got to figure out how to get my hundred and twenty-five dollars back for my RV pass. So <laughs> at least we're having the shows, and we'll be at all three shows. And I guess we'll just uh, have a designated driver uh, drive us down from my house, which is about an hour from the sporting arena. This might be a good time. I don't know if I've talked about it in the past, but the whole reason that we have Dick's Soccer Complex dates back to 1995 when we and me uh, voted for our new airport. Anybody who's been to Denver knows we have a beautiful brand new airport. It's 20 years old now. It has the white Teflon roof that's made to look like the Rocky Mountains. So when that got voted in, in 1995, we moved the airport seven, 17 miles east of Denver. Uh, Denver. The city and county of Denver were one of the only metropolitan areas in the United States that had a large swath of land, now empty land, within their city limits. And so we had enough room to build a soccer arena. There's also the Stapleton neighborhood, which is condos and houses and supermarkets and residential that was all built where the old airport was. And then the uh, soccer arena holds about 30,000 people. So it's a great size for fish because fish is too big for Red Rocks where Red Rocks only holds 9,500 people. So it's a perfect size for fish, but it still feels very intimate. 
Fish does not do big screen, the the video. It's just a basically a basic concert, but it's intimate enough that you can see the stage without big screen video. And then surrounding the soccer arena are dozens and dozens of football fields and soccer fields. So on any given weekend, you'll have thousands of school age kids playing soccer around the Dick's Stadium, and that's where they let people pitch their tents. For the camping at the fish concerts, so I like to joke to the young people when I'm at the shows with them that, you know, what they're standing on used to be a runway at the old airport. So that's the story of Dicks, and maybe next time after the shows, and I do still want to do a show, a Deadhead Cannabis show, the weekend of the fish shows. So maybe when we do that, I'll have more information on what exactly caused them to cancel the camping this year. Well, Jim, I have to tell you, it was really interesting because just, when was it, I guess, you know, last weekend or something, maybe the beginning of this week, one day on the news, I happened to see something about prairie dogs in Colorado, you know, with bubonic plague, and but it, it, they didn't make it sound like, you know, it was a, a big deal or that anybody should be alarmed, just stay away from the prairie dog. And then within a day, I started seeing all of these posts and uh, hearing about uh, the camping being canceled out there. And, you know, that's a, that's a tough blow for fish fans, you know, coming on the heels uh, of the, the big fiasco they had with Curveball a couple of years ago, which was supposed to take place up in Watkins Glen, I believe. And literally, as the fans were showing up the day of the show, they were being told that the entire weekend was being canceled because the heavy rains had flooded the water supply and they couldn't provide clean water. So everyone who had congregated on, on Watkins Glen for, for the Big Fish annual event, which was called Curveball that year, had to go home. And now they're, now at least they're not canceling the shows, which is the good news. But again, it's unfortunate that, that folks can't stay. But I guess they just decided they'd rather be safe than sorry, huh? Yes. Yeah, we don't have to worry about that. Yeah, Curveball, that was last year. And it was right before the Dick shows here in Colorado. So I actually have a curveball poster hanging up in my barn. When we do some video from my barn, I'll put it up on the website, a picture of the curveball poster I bought last year at Dick's because I, I knew that all the vendors and the people who made up posters and shirts and all that really got hung out to dry because yep. they had all their vending materials and things they wanted to sell that they weren't going to be able to sell. So when I was at Fish last year, a guy came by selling posters from Curve, and uh, so I, I bought one to, to help him out. Uh, so I actually have a Curveball picture. And speaking of concerts getting canceled, what do you think um, was behind the Woodstock 50th anniversary falling apart? Wow, that's a great question. And the short answer is, you know, I don't know that we'll ever really know. I think that what happened was, uh, as near as I can tell, there was just enough uncertainty that some of the big-name performers, Jay-Z and others, decided that they were not going to commit to those dates because it didn't. It was too uncertain as to whether it was going to happen. And it, it kind of created a domino effect. They had trouble getting their permits from the town, up, from Bethel up there, wherever they wanted to do the show. And then they tried to move it to Meriwether Post and make it a free event, and it, it all kind of fell apart. And, you know, you have two thoughts on that, Jim, right? The first thought is, boy, I mean, back then, it was a miracle that it came together. But today, with this is the same guy. He knew what he was getting into, right? You would have thought that there would have been like a year and a half. And, man, they know what the 50th anniversary is going to be. You know, but they didn't pull the trigger. 
And then again, I think, you know, we've said this before, but it really just demonstrates what a miracle the first one was and how, you know, amazing it was that they pulled it off. And I got to tell you, props to, um, what's it called? The uh, station on uh, Sirius XM, the Deep Tracks. All of last week, they dedicated 100% of their programming to playing Woodstock. But, well, you know, uh, they've come up with all of the tapes of all of the performances that Rhino was putting out in a 38-disc box set for like $1,000 or something, so it jumped out of my price range. But it has every, the, the complete Woodstock from beginning to end, every tune by every performer, and they played it on deep tracks last week. And, you know, it, it was great to hear all the stuff that we already had heard and hear it again. It was great to hear the tunes by, you know, bands like, you know, The Who and, and Jimi Hendrix and, and the band and the dad and others, you know, to hear songs that they perform there other than the ones we've already heard. But then they got down to the people that, you know, some of us may not have even remembered were there, like Melody and Quill and Mountain and the Keith Hartley Band and Shanana. And they're playing all of this stuff. And I'll tell you, it was just tremendous to hear it all and just drives the point home. What an amazing three days those were, you know, the, the rain wasn't enough to get in the way. They just, there was too much going on with them. And, you know, a, a lot of these performers, it's funny to say, oh, we, we didn't like our performance. The dead have always downplayed their performance at Woodstock, but you know what? It, it is what it is. And it's part of the, the history and the fabric of it. And I, I haven't heard of a single person who was at Woodstock and said they wish they weren't there. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, we should probably talk a little bit about cannabis as we transition yep, in there. Just for next weekend's three fish shows in Colorado, we're anticipating beautiful end of the summer weather. Might be occasional thunderstorm, but nothing like upper state New York yet. So we should have good weather, low 90s during the day, 70s in the evening. So we're really looking forward to our end of the summer fish shows next year. You know, they say about the Western United States that uh, September is hotter than June. And I, I think that's true in the Denver area. So what do we have to talk about for cannabis? Um, well, Jim, A, we'll be looking for your reviews of those shows. Unfortunately, I cannot go. My son, who's a huge fish fan, and actually he and his, his group got turned away at Curveball. One of the members of their posse is getting married over Labor Day weekend here in Chicago. And my wife and I were privileged enough to be invited as well. So, uh, We'll be attending that affair, and unfortunately, we'll be missing Dick's, but so will my, my son and all of his friends, so we'll all be very anxious to hear what you have to say. Cannabis, well, the Missouri applications are in, I know, because it got crazy down there, so crazy that on Friday they sent out an announcement that they were extending the filing deadline to Monday afternoon because they just got too much action on the state computer system all at once, but everything is in. The folks that I represented got their applications in, and now everyone's playing the big wait-and-see game. But it's not just wait-and-see, right, Jim? I mean, you don't have your license yet. You don't know that you've won. But from your experience working with groups, what, what should people who are applicants be looking to do during this period where the state is scoring the applications? Right. Yeah, our CPA firm, Bridge West, also helped with several Missouri applications. And you didn't have to post a bond, and you didn't have to show that you actually have the cash on hand at the time you submitted your application. So in this window, 
And it's either, Larry, is it 120 days or 150 days that the state has to notify the people that have been selected to get licenses? You know, that's a good question, Jim. I believe it's 150 days, but I also know that they've been contemplating possible amendments to that, depending on the number of applications that actually come in. Yeah. So that'll put us at late October, early November. Now is the time for the Missouri applicants to raise their capital, get what they need. Missouri's an interesting place because it's definitely a lot less expensive to do business there than, say, New York or Massachusetts or California. Sure. So our applicants bought raw land. We're looking at probably spending $6 million for a cultivation facility that would cost $10 million in Massachusetts. But now is the time to get your capital in alignment so it's ready to be deployed as soon as you know. And there's things that you can be doing now, whether or not you get a cannabis cultivation license, and that you can be doing your demolition work if it needs to be done preparing the site, getting that all ready, and then as soon as the, you know, getting your building permits lined up so that as soon as you find that if you're one of the lucky people to get a license in Missouri, you can begin construction. Now, we're budgeting three months for construction and then three months till first harvest. So if the licenses come out at the end of October, we're looking at the first Missouri medical marijuana being sold probably in the around June of 2020. That makes sense from a timing perspective. I agree. Now, Jim, here's, you know, it's interesting what you're saying, and I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, however, I have a couple of clients, you know, who, who are doing it a little bit differently in that one group is looking to lease a facility, and the other group is looking to purchase a facility, but both of them are working with contingencies that allow them, uh, that only force them to go forward with their deals if, in fact, they get their licenses, right? If they don't get their licenses, yes. they can exercise the contingency and step out. They have to pay for the contingency, of course. But it, now, on the other hand, though, based on what you're saying, that prevents them from actually being able to start doing work until they find out if they get their license. So they've got to move really quickly at that point. Right, right. And just a particular bias that my groups have that I consult with is we prefer new construction. We went out to Missouri. And we looked at some places that had businesses in there at earlier times, same in Massachusetts. And you have to remember that medical marijuana, while it is an agricultural product on one hand, it's also a pharmaceutical product. And the testing standards are going to be very strict in most of the states. So we have a bias towards new construction, demo the old building and build a brand new building from scratch specifically designed to cultivate cannabis. You know, using a building that maybe it was used to make concrete or, or something like that, you don't want to find out at first harvest that you're not going to be able to test positively and that you're ending up spending all that money renovating an old building. So that's just a bias we have. Other people have different opinions, and I respect that, but we yep. like brand new buildings with brand new heating and air conditioning. I like that idea. Certainly, I suppose for some people, it just simply becomes a matter of economics, right? That, that's not an inexpensive way to go about doing it. On the other hand, uh, I certainly like what you're saying in the sense that if you're going to take the time you know, to, to, to grow and harvest it, and that's very appropriate to call it a pharmaceutical product, it does make sense to be able to create your own environment from the ground up 
and not have to worry about what might be buried underneath or what might be emanating through the concrete or the, the wood floors or whatever you have that was left behind by who knows how many previous business owners. Right. The heating and air conditioning ducts. I tell people, you might want to take yep. a swab and get that tested. Right. I like that idea, too. And actually, see, for me, a lot of what you're saying makes sense. It really makes sense for any of these people, right? Whether whether you've taken control of the building or you have a contingency, you need to be inside. You need to know your premises. You need to be familiar with it so that on the day when you get your license awarded, that's not the day you first start thinking about it. That's the day you jump into action and be moving forward. I agree that you need to take advantage of that time to have your money lined up and ready to go. It does have to be right. If you don't have the money in the bank accessible on the day you get your license, you're losing time. And every day that you lose after you get your license has a value to it in terms of other people getting started before you and just generally having to, you know, when the state's going around checking out everybody, if you're not ready until other people, after other people, you're going to have to wait your turn. Sure. Well, that's what's going on in Missouri. So, yeah, we successfully submitted several applications with the help of some very excellent attorneys in, in Missouri. Look forward to finding out if uh, our efforts were successful. Illinois moving forward with full adult use January 1st. Larry, you're up there in Chicago. You got your ear to the ground. What's going on in uh, Chicagoland? Well, I'll be happy to tell you just uh, really quickly vis-a-vis Missouri, though. Uh, while I was busy representing my groups, uh, we also have uh, Peter Andreoni, one of my partners in the Hope and Law Group based in Kansas City, who I believe was representing another five groups as well. Very, very excited about that, the opportunity to work with the people in Missouri. And now, Jim, you're absolutely right. We're starting to shift our focus to Illinois, the Hope and Attorneys that I'm reaching out to to provide assistance because this is going to be a busy period of time. There are lots of folks who want to get in on this action. Uh, For a long time, Illinois was a state that nobody wanted a part of because the medical program uh, really was not operating in an efficient manner, and nobody was making any money at all on the uh, cultivation or on the dispensary level. Now that they're going to adult use, it's becoming one of the hottest tickets in town. Illinois has a population roughly double the size of Colorado, the city of Chicago alone, and, and surrounding Cook County suburbs and municipalities, huge numbers of people, very, very uh, liberal for the most part. Not entirely. We have our pockets. But even in those pockets, I believe this is going to be a success, although certain municipalities are opting out. And quite frankly, I'm surprised by both the municipalities that have made that decision and the basis for those decisions. And maybe we'll make that a program for another day to talk about, because that really is something worth talking about. What drives municipalities to choose to opt out of something as potentially profitable as adult use marijuana. Yes. So it seemed like they're going against their voters' will since these programs are voted in by pretty strong majorities. On the other hand, we're not going to push ourselves on communities that don't want medical marijuana or adult use cannabis. Now, Larry, aren't they allowing the cultivators to ramp up prior to January 1st so there'll be enough product? When they get full adult use? Ah, well, here's the thing, and this is the important part to remember about Illinois. There are not going to be any more large-scale cultivation licenses awarded into the near future. The 
40 license, the 40 cultivation licenses that will be made available by May of next year are going to be what they call craft uh, licenses. You'll start off with 5,000 square feet, and pursuant to a formula yet to be determined, three different times you can apply for increases of up to 3,000 square feet in a shot. If you get everything, you can wind up with 14,000 square feet, which isn't bad. But the medical cultivators will also be now growing for the adult use program as well. And as they've successfully argued to the state, they have more than enough extra canopy space that they have. You know, a lot of these guys are sitting on 75,000 square feet or more, but they've only been growing on 10 or 15,000 square feet at the most. And now they see an opportunity to use the rest of all of their space. So between now and then, many of them have already started to go ahead and ramp up and do that. The other thing that the current medical people get to do and that they're in the process of doing right now is apply for a dual license that will allow them to operate their medical dispensary as a dual medical adult use dispensary. And then they get a second license for one additional adult use dispensary for every medical dispensary they have. So we've got 55 medical dispensaries. If everybody maxes out, maxes out on January 1, we'll have 110. We'll still only have the same 21 growth centers, but presumably they're going to ramp up, uh, and they're in the process of doing so right now to make sure that they can address that demand. Whether it'll be sufficient, I guess we'll have to wait until then to find out. Yeah, I'm anticipating very strong demand because of your population. I believe Illinois is around 10 million people. Yeah, just slightly under, but yes, you're right. And again, you know, liberal community, uh, community that likes its uh, live music events and those types of things and clubs and whatever. And cannabis is a very natural part of the scene, albeit still underground, but hopefully not for long. Very good. And then as we come to the end of our time slot here, we'll briefly touch on Another state that came on board just uh, this month of August, 2019, Louisiana opened their nine, they don't call them dispensaries in Louisiana, they call them pharmacies. And they have to be, the medicine has to be dispensed by a pharmacist. And the only product on the shelves right now is tinctures. And the medical program in Louisiana does not allow for combustible flour. So next week we have an associate in Louisiana, Peter Prevo, CPA, with Bridge West. He's very active politically in the state legislature and shepherding this program through to fruition. And so we'll see if we can't get him to come on and be a guest for us on the next show so that we can talk about what's happening in Louisiana. But one of the surprises in the first few weeks of medical marijuana in Louisiana is they already have 5,000 patients which is more than anyone expected in the first couple of weeks. So lots of things happening around the country, and Larry and I are happy to share our knowledge. We travel quite a bit. Uh, we have clients all over the country in this in this area, and uh, we're very glad to share it with everyone. One other thing I'd like to uh, think about teeing up for next week as well, Jim, certainly in Illinois, and I would imagine in other states as well, there's a lot of wheeling and dealing going on, mergers, acquisitions. Uh, in Illinois, the big talk over the past couple of weeks was a big deal uh, whereby uh, Greenhouse, and I'll think of it in a minute, they just sold uh, their dispensaries and their cultivation centers in Illinois and, and in other parts of the country 
were reported $875 billion. And not all in cash, but people don't necessarily understand that. And, you know, from a guy who, you know, deals on the taxing end of it and, and probably has much more familiarity with something like that than I do, I'd be interested in hearing, and I'm not saying you, you were involved in this deal or you know anything about it, but just generally when these types of deals go down, how does somebody structure something like that so that they can say there's $875 million? Well, the valuations have been all over the board. I believe what you're going to see in the next three to six months is extremely large write-downs of goodwill on publicly traded cannabis companies, most of them on the Canadian Stock Exchange. So you can have these high valuations at the time the deal is consummated. It doesn't mean that the valuations hold up over time if the company's reporting operating losses. And then usually the seller gets some cash, but there's not that many publicly traded cannabis companies that have a, a billion dollars hanging around. So they get stock and you know some combination of, of stock of the publicly traded company and cash in exchange for their license. And that's called uh, restricted stock. So if you're an owner, as a general rule, you cannot sell your stock for a year. So you might have a high valuation at the time of the transaction and get a whole bunch of restricted stock. A year later, when that restriction is lifted and you can sell your stock, it could be worth a whole lot less. So you know, valuation in this industry really depends on I think one of the biggest factors is, do you have restricted licenses or limited licenses or unlimited licenses? So states like Colorado, Washington, and Illinois all have unlimited licenses. You can still get a license in Colorado to cultivate, even though we have over a thousand active licenses and some overproduction. Our, our prices in Colorado have stabilized they hit a low of about $800 a pound. We're back up over 1000 now, 1500 for top shelf. So that is the, the big factor. So, yeah, if this deal was Illinois-based, it's because Illinois, is, as you described earlier, Larry, Illinois has very strict restrictions on how many cultivation licenses that are going to be given out, which means that there will not be overproduction in Illinois anytime soon, and that can help keep those values up. Yeah, I think so. And, and look, I'm all for it, right? Uh, the, the more we can show the value in this industry, the better it is for everybody. As we sign off, I just have to jump back to music for one minute. I sent you a, an email the other day, Jim, and I don't know if you had a chance to look at it yet, but in the midst of all my craziness last week as we were uh, really moving to get the Missouri applications completed, I got an email from a friend, and it had a clip attached to it, and the clip showed Trey Anastasio joining the Tedeschi Trucks band on stage to play Mountain Jam. And oh, wow. I started to watch it for a minute, thinking, I really don't have time to do this, but the first three minutes alone is unbelievable because the two of them are standing at the front of the stage, tuning their guitars, and having a conversation about who the hell knows what happens when two guitar guys get together and talk shop. And, and with all due respect to Susan Tedeschi, who I love, she just kind of steps off into the shadows and is just let these two guys talk it out. And then they, you know, they rip into what, in my opinion, may be the best, if not one of the best jam tunes of all time. And to just watch the two of them playing together almost effortlessly as though they do it all the time together is 
well, well worth it. And anybody, just go to YouTube and Google Derek Trucks, Trey Anastasio, and Mountain Jam, and it'll pop up right away. There's probably 100 different versions of it out there, and it, it's just fantastic. The next thing I knew, I had taken the full 30 minutes to watch it, but it was well worth it. I went back to work a little more energized and just amazed at uh, what the two of those guys can do when they're together. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we are um, certainly looking forward to seeing Trey Anastasio here in Colorado Labor Day weekend. And I sure enjoyed seeing Derek Trucks with you up at Red Rocks earlier this summer. Indeed. They were great shows. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to extend an invite out to any of our listeners. If you have a favorite jam, it can either just be a straight jam from a jam band you love, or it can be a mashup of you know, a couple of legends like that. Uh, and if you have it, and you want to send it to us, we'd love to look at it and uh, listen to it. And, you know, the ones we like, we'll talk about and uh, tell people all about it and mention your name for sending it in. Excellent. Well, everybody, that's it for this episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. For Larry Mishkin and Jim Marty here, I want to say over and out, and we'll see you next time. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humiston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.